this set of artists were really clear about was they said there is gender imbalance in the music business in general for decades and and I found it really interesting they were so clear about maybe we can use recommender systems as a way to change that so finally as a solution and for me as a researcher that was a very great moment to see like okay it's not only using it and having to live with the recommender but seeing it as a solution to a problem that existed already beforehand even a person is not the same the next day so it depends on the situation on the intent on the context what is really relevant in the very moment if in this situation the system has to decide should it be track A or B that's played and for the consumer it wouldn't make a difference but it could help to like increase fairness or to give someone a chance or whatever the, the other reasoning behind that is then it's an easy possibility to like flip it around. We need to take different perspectives to get the full picture from the evaluation and not only zoom in one aspect and ignore what else is happening and then we don't know a lot about the recommenders. Hello and welcome to this new episode of Rexperts, Recommender Systems Expert. In this episode, we are talking about music recommender systems, fairness in music recommender systems, as well as the different complexities and challenges around the evaluation of recommender systems. And today's guest is maybe a name that you have heard about in one of the previous episodes, because my guest today is Christine Bauer. Christine Bauer is assistant professor at the University of Utrecht in the Netherlands, and she is researching music recommender systems quite a lot and has some dedicated interest for the fairness of recommender systems. She has studied in Vienna at the Technical University over there, as well as the University of Vienna, and spent some research at the Carnegie Mellon University, as well as some time in Cologne and Linz. With Papers being submitted to different journals and UMAP, REXIS, or CHI, or dub. She has also shown many different contributions in the field of recommender systems. And especially in the REXIS community, she is known for co-organizing the doctoral symposium, as well as the perspectives workshops that will again take place this year. Welcome, Christine Bauer. Hello, welcome. Thanks for the nice introduction. <laughs> yeah, it's nice to have you on this show and to finally talk to you because I guess uh, there was not only a single person who recommended you. I mean, we knew before from the Rexus and uh, so it's great finally talking to you in this episode. Lots of pressure on me when so many people <laughs> recommend me, but in like recommender systems field, we have to recommend. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like to give us just some overview about yourself and your work in recommender systems? That's a challenging start. <laughs> yeah, that's a challenging start. Recommender systems. I actually started only in 2017 to really dedicate my research to recommender systems. Uh, I worked before on different topics and the last one where I was really like delving into was context-aware computing, context-aware systems, uh, where I didn't focus on recommender systems at all, but it was uh, a very 
very straightforward way like to flip over <laughs> to recommender systems and as i'm so much interested in music it's even more pleasure uh, to apply these things to the music domain and that's where i think i'm most known for uh, doing research in the music recommenders field um, but actually my my field is much broader so i'm interested in fairness how can we create fair recommenders what is the impact of recommenders and that's the reason why we need fair recommenders. Mm -hmm. And the big challenge that we generally have is how do we evaluate? Uh, well, we evaluate the systems, but do we do it in a way that is okay? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, sneak peek, no. Uh, so <laughs> Surprise, surprise. <laughs> what a surprise. So I, I see that as an overarching uh, theme that I follow and really want to mm -hmm. push forward. And that's not only relevant in the music recommenders field. Okay, yeah, that definitely makes sense. So not only there, not only tied to entertainment, but also to very different domains like e-commerce or social media, where I guess we deal a lot with fairness and other aspects of recommendations, apart from pure accuracy of retrieval. Yeah, that's actually a point that you address, that music is associated with entertainment, because as a consumer... Mm -hmm. We want to be entertained, but it's a big ecosystem where lots of stakeholders are in place. And mm -hmm. especially for the artists, it's not, oh, it's entertainment. Uh, they want or need to make a living of it. So there are different interests in there. So it's not only entertainment, but it's the first thing we associate with uh, such a domain. Yeah, it's mainly from a user-centric point, it would be entertainment, but of course, right. artists and also, let's, for example, uh, record-selling companies want to live from something and pay their employees from something and uh, need to earn money with it. And um, yeah, of course, also the artists. Yeah, so, so why actually music recommender systems? Or let's just take a step back. Why recommender systems at all? What was it that brought you into recommender systems? Well, I think there is not a one straightforward answer mm -hmm. to that. So the, the one thing was, and I mentioned that already, that um, I was researching on context-aware systems and particularly addressed it in the advertising field. Mm -hmm. um, and this has sometimes this like bad connotation. Oh, advertising is for making people buy things that they actually don't want and don't need, <laughs> uh, which is not always the case, but sometimes mm -hmm. that's the case. But that has like, has a, bad aftertaste when you do research in the field and i was watching out for other domains mm -hmm. and i was like yeah i like music a lot i start playing instruments when at the age of four and i worked at the collecting society in austria in the mm -hmm. music domain for performing rights and i'm still playing and i know lots of musicians uh, some some labels and so on so it's I am really strongly attached to this domain and mm -hmm. it's, uh, I really like that I could combine the things all together. And I was doing research in lots of different fields where music was somehow in play. For instance, how can um, a jogging app adapt with the music it's playing so that you can do better performance in your training? Mm -hmm. um, so music was already in there or how do artists learn the management skills that they need mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so the music or music domain was always in there although i really addressed lots of different topics and somehow in the end it all came together and it's uh, music recommenders 
So that means you really know what you talk about when it comes to artists and the artists' perspectives on recommender systems because you are basically doing music or playing music and in that sense also an artist yourself when it comes to, to music, right? <laughs> well, it's a bit over, like overstatement, uh, <laughs> but uh, hopefully, hopefully I know what I'm talking about. Uh, but I definitely have a background that other people don't have. Uh, mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that helps in doing research in this field. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's always kind of nice if you also have some kind of personal attachment to the work that you perform. And if you say that you like to create music and like to play certain instruments and something like that, then this is kind of a personal attachment that you're having. And if you find that also resembled on parts of your work, then I guess that makes work also sometimes much more joyful. It's more joyful. It's also motivating um, mm -hmm. just because of that. But uh, also when you have the background, you know the lots of stakeholders, how they're involved, how they're affected, then it's mm -hmm. easier to see the need or the impact. And that's, again, a driver to move forward and make the next step. When talking about uh, music recommender systems, uh, and especially, I mean, there are many platforms in the domain that we have mentioned in previous episodes. These platforms have interests, and the users have interests, and the artists have interests, just to name a couple of the involved stakeholders. What is the problem in balancing those interests? And can you just give us a broad overview about potential approaches of balancing those interests? Okay, you're specifically asking for the music domain. Yes, for the music domain. Yeah. Okay, well, what's the challenge? There are lots of generations involved. Well, there are several stakeholders. Um, you, you named them already, but there is uh, like the different that the power relationships are very imbalanced ever since. Mm -hmm. Ever since in in the in the music business, uh, long before recommender systems, and of course, this power imbalance is still still alive um, and when we think about like these platforms they have recommended systems in there who will decide what's recommended and how and what's implemented and some stakeholders have more say in that like the platform mm -hmm. owners themselves of course mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, then the various artists um, for artists for instance it's not like one big stakeholder it's like mm -hmm. lots of different individuals or small groups and they're also there are different they have different power like the we have the super super superstars mm -hmm. and then we have some people who just release one item which is good or not good you don't know mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. then there's a wide scale of in between we, we know that there's this uh, long tail distribution of mm -hmm. popularity and that of course reflects like the power that people have in the system but also Uh, influence the recommended systems, how we yeah. uh, how we form them, and then again we have um, some stakeholders as um, as aggregators or as middle middle entities. Uh, mm -hmm. For instance, some um, record companies they usually don't represent only one artist. Mm -hmm. There are small labels that do it like that. Then it's typically the artist uh, themselves representing them. But usually a record company represents lots of artists 
with lots of diff again different power relationships, different prospects of of what could come out in terms of popularity, in terms of money, in terms of mm -hmm. uh, whatever. So that's already the starting point before even a recommender is in play. Yeah, yeah. So, so do you think that, uh, for example, record companies, I mean, you said that they are one of the powerful stakeholders in that overall system. Do they think that they have a saying when it comes to recommender systems or kind of, I wouldn't say dictating, but influencing the decision of how personalization is being done by platforms? That's a good question. Well, you have to ask them themselves if they, <laughs> if they think they can influence that. It's like whatever yeah. I say is just a, could only be a rumor, uh, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. it would be, I can phrase it like that, it would be a surprise if there's no influence at all. Mm -hmm. I, would, I would be very surprised. Mm -hmm. um, then this would mean that the platform almost have even more power than I thought they have. Oh, that's right and they already well, yeah. have a lot. Of course, mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. their it's their platform. So, uh, yeah, a tricky question, but you have to direct uh, it to someone else, I think. <laughs> yeah, we'll take a note for that. <laughs> so maybe to be addressed in one of the upcoming episodes. In music recommender systems, from a user perspective, we are mainly thinking about um, to get some recommendations, for example, to be resembled in a playlist and to have as many, let's say, relevant songs there as possible. And I mean, relevant could mean different things. It could be something that I haven't listened to for quite a long time or also something that I haven't listened to yet and yeah that I find novel and entertaining and also enriching in a sense that it adds some new direction for how my music taste might evolve in the future so we have even if we would ignore or disregard all the other stakeholders I mean there are already so many goals that only cater the user How are we going about these different goals and bring them into balance before even going into respecting the other stakeholders? Yes, that, that's already the like one big challenge, just considering <laughs> one stakeholder. Of course, I don't know what exactly is done at the platforms, but mm -hmm. I assume that they make clear distinctions between user types. I call it user types now. Mm -hmm. how, how do you use a platform? and how they want to use it, which might not be overlapping. And concerning what you mentioned before, that some people want to discover new things and like Discover Weekly, for instance, by one platform mm -hmm. is a, a good place to go to where it's new and at the same time, hopefully relevant or, or matches the taste. Some people just, they're stuck in their... They have formed their tastes. They have their uh, the songs that they like, a huge collection, and no, they're not really like. Sometimes something new comes in; it's fine, but mm -hmm. they're more attached to the old songs and kind of recycle them in new playlists. Mm -hmm. um, so familiarity is is a the, a bigger goal there, or something that's more important. Um, and what I think plays also plays a role is the right mixture because. There might be users that always want to get something new. Mm -hmm. But if I just think of myself, yes, I want to learn about new stuff, but it has to be sneaked in into something that is already very familiar. And it also has to be in a, like the transition from one genre to another. So for some people, they're like stuck to one genre or two genres. And mm -hmm. some people like have a very wide spectrum in their taste. 
And again, for some people, it needs to be like a smoother transition between Mm -hmm. genres. And for others, it's okay to have some soft song and then death metal and then (laughs) and some classical music and then reggae. Um, I'm sometimes okay with that and sometimes I'm not. And that brings me to another point because even a person is not the same the next day. So it depends on the situation, on the intent, on the context, what is really relevant in the very moment. You just mentioned that about the running case. And I just recall that there are also those playlists that target for a certain steps per minute or beats per minute level of your exercising session, especially, for example, when you are running, then there are these 160 BPM power a lot uh, playlists and those that are maybe a bit slower. So 120 or 130 BPM. So, of course, this is relatively explicit because when i know what kind of exercising session i want to perform as a runner then i would explicitly select the corresponding playlist but what mechanisms or methods exist to capture this more implicitly i mean you said i'm not the same person tomorrow as i am today so how am i gonna catch personality change to name it or the change in context that then of course is going to determine my taste for the other day or the difference in taste yeah there are different approaches one way would be like explicitly like asking for something and there's Mm -hmm. sometimes like asking for the mood uh difficulty is people sometimes can't say what their mood is it's just other, <laughs> it's like other people can see it and feel it and <laughs> yourself don't manage to express it like yeah, correctly yeah. so that's would be one way or what are you up to today while you're here mm-hmm. at the platform so that this would be ways to explicitly ask with some predefined categories another way would be as as you said implicitly trying to capture it from the way how people navigate a platform if they search for something and there are some papers already out into like this capturing the intent why someone Mm -hmm. like is at the moment at the platform for instance if you search for a specific artist then it's very likely they really want to know something about the artist but someone could also like click through the old playlists until they reach the artist that they were searching for and then mm-hmm. move from there so there are different ways and it's a challenge like how to find the different ways how to deal with it and there's another challenge like with intent it's already a challenge to find out what is the intent of a person when arriving at the platform but it's typically not that a person has an intent and it stays like that. And only the next time they arrive at the platform, it's a different one because it changes because you encounter something and then you mm-hmm. deviate from it's like you're browsing on the web and suddenly you end up somewhere else and you don't even know why you ended up there, but somehow something changed uh, in your journey yeah. uh, and you were interested in something else. And that's also in navigating lots of different uh, platforms. Yeah, I think there will be lots of research also in this field coming up, but we are not Mm -hmm. there yet to know what's going on. People are complex. So, for example, one of my colleagues might recommend me a certain artist and then I directly after the daily go to my app and search for that artist. So this might be something that is just given the features that we assume these platforms have access to totally unpredictable because uh, I 
think they don't have access to what my colleague has kind of recommended me within the daily but this is basically at that very moment driving my intent to search for that artist and maybe listen to that artist right yes and especially here like there's something happening in the background nobody like nobody knows hopefully like it's not <laughs> capture a webcam or so we don't know um, please don't do it if like someone's listening don't do it <laughs> yeah but that's that's the thing like there's something happening in the background there's like no information about that there's just like black box or like just time span assume that nothing's happened but something mm -hmm. happened but i think as human creatures like we sometimes it's not so mysterious what we're doing like if <laughs> If uh, someone sees something on TV or someone else mentions this particular song or you just mm -hmm. like remember the song for whatever reason and then you search for it, why do you enter a platform and directly search for a specific term, something happened before that directed mm -hmm. you exactly to that? Yeah. So it's not <clears throat> so much of a surprise, but you mm -hmm. don't know what mm -hmm. exactly happened. So at least given the data of that very specific platform and that very example, so no one knows why. But of course, the behavior looks like there is some very specific intent the user had at that very moment. Yeah. Or for instance, like if someone like listens to something like three seconds and goes to the next one or goes to the next mm -hmm. one, it's browsing, but maybe <laughs> with a more specific intent and nothing matched it beforehand, which mm -hmm. is different to like listening to longer sequences and then moving to the next song, there might be something different behind that. So already from that, we could infer something, however it's called in the end, but uh, as long as the recommendations will fit that, then it's fine. Okay, so I mean, the user is already quite complicated to grasp and uh, there might be different truths for a user uh, on different days. I mean, we talked about that discovery aspect as well, but taking a broader look at it again, the word fairness, I would say, has been used quite a lot in the past years because it has seen good development. It has seen a rise in the considerations of ML practitioners, ML researchers, whether it might be in recommender systems or other application areas like vision. What exactly do we mean when we talk about fairness? So what does it mean? I would assume there are some people who mean that something is equitable and there might be other people who mean that something is equal and even between equal and equitable, there is a great gap or just a big difference. So I think as researchers, in our community, like everybody talks about something slightly different and we're mm -hmm. not there yet that we have this one concept that we adhere to. And mm -hmm. I think it will never be that there's one concept that like worldwide generally over all the different domains. There are definitely legal aspects that we have to consider. And especially with discrimination law, we know what's not okay, which it's like flipping the coin, then we know what's hopefully okay. But there's also some subjectivity in it, what I consider fair might be that you don't consider that fair, mm -hmm. but then we have to go into a discourse mm -hmm. and find out, okay, how do we deal with that? But it's not only about individuals, we have also the societal level mm -hmm. and uh, that makes it more complex. And again, we are the different stakeholders at the different approaches, how we understand life or the meaning of mm -hmm. life. So it's overall very complex and I already sneak in my topic with um, artists and fairness. Yeah, please, uh, let's, let's make it more concrete. <laughs> make it more concrete. <laughs> uh, so I, I was 
uh, discussing uh, with my colleague Andres Ferraro, and we uh, like he's also into music a lot and knows artists. And we say, yeah, we think it's not fair for artists what's happening. But then was the question, yeah, but what's fair for artists? Mm-hmm. And then yeah, well, it's not on us to decide. Mm-hmm. what's fair for artists we have to reach out to artists to ask them what's fair okay. for you what do you want to have what do you need what's what's affecting you and that was the starting point of our journey of doing research together and we indeed reached out to uh, to artists with interviews and asked them how they perceive what's going on on platforms on the music platforms mm-hmm. and how they are affected but also asked more concretely how they wanted to have the ideal recommender system to work for them, <laughs> like for them as an artist, the role yeah, artist, yeah. but also in general for the music community. And uh, yeah, it was very interesting with lots of different viewpoints. Mm-hmm. Very again, we could see it's, there's not one alignment, but there's some aspects that a lot of people mentioned, like for instance, uh, gender balance was mentioned really a lot in the interviews. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a way how we try to come closer to understand what's what's fair and that's also how the one paper <laughs> starts mm-hmm. with the article what is fair uh, to better understand what is the artist's perspective and we're continue working on that now also with my PhD Kalein Dinesen we explore more the artist's perspective on what they consider fair as fair mm-hmm. and trying to find ways to put that into practice with the recommenders. When talking to these artists, I would assume from different genres, from different popularity, and of course, different Indeed. gender and so on and so forth. Have they an understanding? Um, I guess it's very different um, of what is basically going on there when platforms offer their music in a personalized manner to users? Or how was that very first step when asking about their perception and their demands with regards to fairness also talking about personalization and what's going on there. So how was that exchange? Uh, that's a very good point. So um, like as both Andres and me, we know quite some musicians and like also of different popularity levels. Mm-hmm. It was pretty clear beforehand that there's different levels of understanding what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so also for the interviews, we wanted to give them all the same basic level of a recommender is. So we Here is your collaborative filtering 101 course. <laughs> more or less, yes, more or less. Like in, in very simple terms, um, mm-hmm. also with examples uh, from the music domain, there was a lot of, ah, okay, I didn't know. Uh, mm-hmm. So already there, the feedback was, okay, yeah, we, we could get an understanding that it's not so clear, which is actually not a surprise, but still. They are concentrating on good music and then we are concentrating on research or ML practitioners. So it's just that we have different intents and different expertise. So, I mean, we are not blaming musicians to have not such a data or no, system no. literacy. Yeah, so, of yeah. course, no, no, I, I didn't mean it like that. It's just, uh, yeah, it's it's not a pr- surprise that it's that mm-hmm. it's not, they don't have the full understanding as a researcher has, like researcher focusing on recommender systems, but at the same time, learning that they're really affected by a lot of things, but just didn't know what's exactly going on. So transparency is yeah. like the lack yeah. of transparency is a big issue. And if you don't know You just know there's some algorithm somewhere or more or you don't really know and then your song is recommended or not and you have no agency but even if if someone would say yeah you can do something but you don't know how what's working behind that uh you yeah Yeah, yeah. you have no agency can't do anything that's a 
big point. And there's also, yeah, it sounds weird to say educating people because educating also sometimes has a bad aftertaste, but it's not yeah, necessary yeah. like to let people know what's going on. And they were very interested, mm -hmm. like not all of them, but uh, many were very interested to finding out what's going on, both mm -hmm. from the artist perspective, but also they use platforms also as a, and consumer. Yeah. And that was also interesting to see in the interviews. We asked them to answer in the role as an artist, but we had to remind them sometimes because, of course, you also use it as a <laughs> private person and you have interests mm -hmm. and it's mixing up and it totally makes sense. So, it's, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. So what was the outcome of these interviews? I, I guess it's not a unanimous voice that directly tells you what fairness is, how to measure it and just go forward. But if you would go for a slight conclusion, even though opinions might be diverse, what would that be? Yeah, so it's still ongoing. Like we have published on that, but we are continuing mm -hmm. on that. And in the first round of interviews was with Spanish speaking artists from different countries. Their voice said, actually, they don't want that the user's taste and preferences are influenced or like purposefully influenced. And there's now my remark, but it somehow it's influenced anyways. But where these set of artists were very clear about was they said there is gender imbalance in the music business in general <laughs> for decades. And, and I found it really interesting. They were so clear about maybe we can use recommender systems as a way to change that so finally as a solution mm -hmm. and for me as a researcher that was a very great moment to see like okay it's not <laughs> only using it and having to live with the recommender but seeing it as a solution to a problem that existed already yeah. beforehand and yeah so that was very interesting and it was also for me interesting like that the gender aspect like popped up in every interview we also in the interviews we made it really clear that we don't like ask everyone directly First, what do you think about gender imbalance? Because then it's expected what people say, but rather like in general, talk about how they want to have recommenders. And then the gender topic popped up for some, it wasn't part of the, of the discussion. Mm -hmm. And that was the starting point when we then looked into algorithms and how we could use simple re-ranking to use it in a simulation to see how would it evolve over time? Can gender balance be reached at all? Does it do anything? In the simulation, we could break the loop and increase the proportion of women that are recommended or songs by women that are recommended. Mm -hmm. um, but again, it's a computational simulation. It's not <laughs> a real world setting. And yeah. that's what's needed in the end. Yeah, yeah. This is already interesting because it brings us maybe more to the metrics or to concrete measurements as at least try to quantify the impact of let's say, fairness-directed interventions in a recommender system, if we assume that before intervening, my recommender system would be purely focused on retrieval accuracy, for example. I mean, by this, you already imply what might be a notion of fairness. So it might be that we are given an attribute, the attribute might be the gender, mm -hmm. and that fair is when, for example, the consumption spreads more evenly across genders there i sometimes so i would sometimes question this a bit so because this is one of these notions where it says okay it's fair when it's equal but when looking at the let's say most popular artists mm -hmm. and we see that there are 
of course, women. There are men on the stage that are performing very greatly. I mean, just last weekend, uh, Lady Gaga has been performing in Düsseldorf. And I guess we can acknowledge that she's one of... I mean, you don't need to like her music or something like that, but we can acknowledge that she is one of the most skilled entertainers and musicians of our time. And then there we already see the point that making something equal is maybe also not right because we want to somehow also acknowledge the let's say the skill that musicians have or something like that and there of course we would assume that this is foundationally also equally distributed what is the goal at some point if we want to make something more fair so is it really equity so are we reaching for i mean we have let's say 10,000 artists and just if the consumption of music spreads evenly across these 10,000 artists isn't something regarded as fair so when would you say that something is fair is it when your genie coefficient is lower than 0.3 or how do we measure it in these kinds or is it only fair if it's equal uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't think that uh, fairness means equal like equal mm -hmm. and there are like lots of different aspects that we have to take into account and it's the package so if you only look into one metric you don't know the big picture and there are sometimes trade-offs and you have to look on everything so as a term that drives me it's equal opportunities mm -hmm. okay. which doesn't mean it has to be equally distributed in the end what I consider important is to look on what's happening now trying to judge is that great or not and if it's not great how should it be in which direction should it go so not how should mm -hmm. it be it should be 49 to 61 or 50 50 or 80 20 but in which mm -hmm. direction should it go and then if it's acknowledged not only your very own idea trying to reach that and I think we will never have a system whatever system in whatever domain that is fair perfect mm -hmm. <laughs> we will never reach that but it shouldn't mean that we stop doing anything mm -hmm. in this uh, direction but we it's a uh, constant improvement like working mm -hmm. on it and and pushing and yeah that's we're on the road and mm -hmm. trying to change things but what you said before with having something like that's also why I use balanced and not having it equal because balance <laughs> is more embracing but again it depends on Mm -hmm. you talk to what it's all about for instance and it's just uh, again the gender topic so we could in our work only look on men and women because we only had data for that mm -hmm. and there is a wide spectrum of of genders and the non-binary spectrum is just mm -hmm. not represented in the data mm -hmm. and that was also a point for me where i said okay then it's not good if you can't use it <laughs> but not doing yeah. anything at all was also not, it didn't feel okay. But leaving out something is also not okay. Mm -hmm. But then, then like the, I tell it myself, it's one step forward, acknowledging that it's not perfect at all. And is also found it important to acknowledge mm -hmm. that in the, in the papers when you publish that. And then trying to find ways to make it happen and re embrace a wider, wider spectrum. Mm -hmm. And that's just the attribute of gender. And yeah. there are lots of different other aspects where we don't have even any data at all. And we have to be creative in finding ways how we can create these equal opportunities. So I'm really or, convinced on that, <laughs> that we have to yeah, do that. Yeah. Or at least we don't have any public data on this. So I guess yes. they, the data is out there, but it's maybe not accessible. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. Publicly accessible is one thing. And 
yeah, for some aspects, there's a reason why it's not publicly accessible or mm -hmm. at least not in one place altogether yeah. Yeah. because of the consequences. Yeah. Going back to your very study um, where you showed within that simulation that you could achieve a better balance, how have you been measuring or quantifying that effect? Okay, yeah, so it's uh, already with the balance, I said, it's a more generic term. Mm -hmm. So what was particularly an issue for us, and that's actually a good sign that you have to look into the details, it was not, not only the proportion of how many women or men were recommended, but also in what position. So usually mm -hmm. with recommendations, and particularly in music, it's not one song is recommended and you listen to it and it's great. And then you do something different. It's typically <laughs> you listen to several tracks mm -hmm. and also how recommenders work. We do rankings. So the high, like most accurate one is ranked first and then the other ones come in. For me to see uh, in the data that it was like a woman always came on, on the roughly seventh position only mm -hmm. where the on average and on yeah. average the first man was number one that was an aspect it happened that we looked into that it's not 10 years of research to say that told us you have to look on the ranking it was something we, we explored and we were interested in and then we found okay that's something we have to look into because in okay. the percentage it was roughly the same as in the data set in general roughly 25% are women and gender minorities Mm -hmm. among the artists and that was also represented in the recommendation so one could say well it's representing the input <laughs> one could say that but yeah. if we consider that it has been like that for decades in the real world without recommenders and if you want to change it we have to do something mm -hmm. if you want to mm -hmm. keep that then it's fine but then again we looked into detail okay what about the position in the ranking and also coverage like how many tracks by women are actually recommended mm -hmm. and that's specific for the music domain so there are quite some highly popular women you just mentioned before lady gaga <laughs> is, uh, one of them and if you would use a popularity-based approach so recommending the most popular items to everyone you have a high ratio of of women in there mm -hmm. because in the distribution it's there like in, in the super superstars there are quite some women and then I exaggerate now, long time nothing. And then in the low end of the popularity curve, there are lots of women again. And you have to okay. take this into consideration. That's the input. That's also the input. Uh, yeah. And you have to deal with that. Okay, okay, I see. Um, and so I'm definitely really surprised about that large gap in the rank. And um, it's good that, that you are making that point. It's a difference of saying, okay, but you are included in the top 10 or 20 recommendations, but you are not at a very high position on average. These are just two different things. And then you can't buy anything from just appearing within the list if you appear at the very bottom. I mean, seventh is not bottom, but compared yeah. to where men appear, then it's a, it's a big difference yeah yeah then you somehow intervened so how did your intervention look like in that simulation so how do you create a system or change a system or a recommender such that the representation was becoming more balanced we took a very simple approach we used the als approach what mm -hmm. was computed there took the output and then did re-ranking so we put men down in the ranking, like we, we tried out different approaches, like one position or five positions or seven positions and so on. Mm -hmm. And then assumed in the simulation that users would consume what they're recommended in the top numbers. Mm -hmm. 
mm -hmm. uh, and then retrained the model and then again used the ALS approach and then mm -hmm. applied the re-ranking again and yeah that's a very simple approach like re-ranking is a very simple <laughs> approach and yeah. also assuming the in the simulation that the top items are consumed is also rather simple but we could already see the effect there and what I've also found interesting is that we could see that the number of items that had to be re-ranked, it decreased over the iterations. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. with the re-ranking, the, like the original, I call it the original uh, LS approach already had the information that more women were listened to or like higher in the mm -hmm. ranking. To, to just get this right, you assumed that things that have been appearing more up in the recommendation lists uh, have been clicked or would have been clicked more. So basically just set as a foundation the position bias there, right? Yes, okay. which is, but it's based on, on research that indeed that's how we users, yeah. we as users act like the top. Otherwise, the, the, the position in the ranking wouldn't matter. But it's, mm -hmm. it matters because it's more likely that people consume what's shown first in a list. Yeah, yeah. yeah I like the look at recommender systems in that uh, multifaceted way that you do not only think of a recommender system, that it's a system that is kind of enforcing existing imbalances or existing unfairness, but that on the other side, it might also be is a tool that you could use in order to create more balance or create more fairness so it's the same thing but just used in a different way to achieve certain things yeah it came from the artist that is it oh, we, we can use this to address a problem or a challenge that exists for a long time and mm -hmm. that was very inspiring and mm -hmm. i try to continue on this path <laughs> perfect cool If we go back to the users where we started from, uh, how acceptable would they be um, with regards to recommender systems that not only take into account relevance of users, but that also takes into account fairness of or fairness of artists or artist fairness, uh, if you want to call it like that. Sometimes this might also be like a trade-off between these two things. Not always. So I'm not saying that in order to create artist fairness, you definitely need to decrease relevance of recommendations. But how is research dealing with that trade-off? Or is there even a trade-off? Or what is your point on, on, on this if you have these multiple objectives at play? There are lots of papers that... I call it assume that there is definitely a trade-off and mm -hmm. I'm not convinced that there has to be a trade-off. Why? Why are you not convinced of there being a trade-off or what speaks against that there is a trade-off? Yeah, I, I'm not convinced that there's a trade-off or that there has to be a trade-off because there are lots of different things that come into play of what a person likes or accepts. Mm -hmm. And for instance, in the music domain, There are certain tracks that you really, really like, and with, without the track, it wouldn't be it. Mm -hmm. But for certain situations, uh, like if you want to do, like do a meditation, have music in the background, does it really matter whether it's track <laughs> A or track B? 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ah, good point, yeah. It could matter, especially if yeah. one of them is really bad, but in certain situations is somehow interchangeable from the perception of the mm-hmm. consumer because mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter in the very moment. But if in this situation, the system has to decide, should it be track A or B, let's play it. And for the consumer, it wouldn't make a difference, but it could help to like increase fairness or to give someone a chance or mm-hmm. whatever the, the other reasoning behind that is. And then it's an easy possibility to like flip it around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good and point. it depends on the situation and... There are recommenders where it's like you're searching for the one and only item to purchase. And then it needs to be the one thing and the mm-hmm. most accurate one, that's the best one. But for, for other fields and other situations, it's somehow interchangeable. Actually, I have to think about uh, my last concert. Two weeks ago, I've been on a Red Hot Chili Peppers concert, which was great. And there have been numerous bands playing before, like you always have at some concerts. Mm-hmm. And it's also taking that chance of people coming, of course, maybe to see the main performance, but also to give others the chance beforehand to show their play and to get more exposure to also get heard. And then, I mean, this is how some of the most famous bands have been rising because they have been the previous band for some other at some concert. And then people are surprised if they hear uh, that they were just the preliminary band at the very concert if you look maybe just a couple of years later so even though it's not the same but this is just what just came to my mind when you have been talking about could we say it's user sensitivity towards the content that is being displayed an interesting term user sensitivity i rather talk about acceptance like Mm -hmm. sometimes it's acceptable sometimes it's not and that may vary across people yeah but i think that that's indeed a a good Mm -hmm. point when you mentioned the concert example, like which which band is playing there, you give one band exposure, like mm-hmm. exposure and have a chance to reach a new audience maybe. And it's uh, like the decision, which band will it be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's a chance for the band that can actually play. On the other hand, if if it's really a bad choice because the, for instance, shower doesn't fit or its <laughs> quality is bad, then it's actually going in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. So it's actually... Mm-hmm not really helping and also not end, yeah. helping the end consumer and maybe yeah. the main show is also then not perceived as the best I like that thinking about um, you say it's acceptance because then it would towards moving to more fairness would then also comprise predicting user acceptance within certain contexts so I like your meditation example <laughs> when you say okay I somehow I'm able to recognize that the user is currently highly acceptable of that kind of variation within the music. So this is my chance to slide in some music from some underexposed artists that's still tailored to what the user wants to listen to, but not maybe the very except artist because it might have been the artist that has played the meditation music the 10 times before. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that could be a chance to look into that. I haven't done research in, in this mm-hmm. field. And I think that also relates a lot to what's considered in diversity in terms of how diverse should the set of tracks be like what a user wants so Mm -hmm. some want to have like a very diverse playlist and others not so it's there's indeed a preference or like more open for diversity or 
or willing or to like mm-hmm. wanting that and others not and it's typically not like a like certain number and that's it but there's a range of like i'm accepting to have new songs in my playlist that i haven't heard before to a certain degree mm-hmm. or to, to how far away can it be from your music taste that you still accept that yeah and that's used in research when it's uh, addressing diversity from the user perspective and i think it could also be addressed in a similar way um, when it comes to fairness in the representation from the artist perspective Definitely and it somehow it, like it could also be a, a helper for creating diversity maybe yeah. <laughs> maybe However, maybe hard to understand from offline data that you might be having because this might be something that you should rather do in some online settings. Yes, uh, you definitely need consumers there. So uh, mm-hmm. user studies, online studies, especially when it's so much about subjectivity, because that would also be changing one's pattern to mm-hmm. what one was listening to before. And for that, you have to have additional data. It's not reflected yeah. in the data that you already have. Uh, and what impact this this intervention has. So a typical way would be uh, going via user study and then online evaluation. Which brings us to another point. So uh, thanks for the word evaluation. (laughs) 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 I mean, I was about to promote another workshop first because there has been a workshop also around fairness. I guess at this year's Rexus conference, it will be the fifth time that this workshop will be held. Nowadays, it's called the Workshop on Responsible Recommendations and it's a FATREC workshop. So the Fairness, Accountability and Transparency Workshop. So uh, definitely worth to keep that in mind if you are going to Rexus. But let's talk about another workshop, because as our loyal listeners will know, and also the people that visit Rexus or attend Rexus virtually, there is not only the main conference, but also very many different workshops going on that have different topics. And you're actually the co-organizer of the Perspectives Workshop, so the workshop on the evaluation of recommender systems. Can you just tell us a bit about that workshop, what its purpose is and what we are going to expect there or what your intention is with that workshop? Yeah, yeah, it's we are in the second edition now. Um, yeah, last year was the first one was a half day. This year we have a full day. It's called the Perspectives on Evaluation of Recommender Systems because we need to take different perspectives to get the full picture from the evaluation and not only zoom in one aspect and ignore what else is happening. And then we don't know a lot about the recommenders. So that's one perspective of it on the perspectives. (laughs) And the second perspective is that we as researchers, we come from academia or industry. Some are first year PhD researchers, others are in the research business for 30 years. We have different perspectives and different resources Mm -hmm. to deal with evaluation. So we have to take all the different perspectives uh, into account and What is the purpose of the workshop? We want to bring all those things together, uh, Mm -hmm. but also move forward, like to to make improvements because we see that some, like there's lots of offline evaluation for lots of different reasons, but in comparison, not so many user studies and even less online evaluations. And the question is, for instance, should everybody do online evaluation or is it only relevant for certain topics or it should only industry partners do mm-hmm. that and academia should <laughs> leave their hands from that or not <laughs> or why and also to make the results across different projects comparable 
And if everybody does something completely different and it's not related to each other, then we're not moving forward as a community. And mm -hmm. if we don't do that as a community, then that's indeed problematic. And that was more or less the starting point for uh, <laughs> this workshop to happen. And last year, there was lots of discussion, really focused on, on discussion a lot. There were papers presented and we also discussed those. Um, but it was really like, what do we need? Where we want to go? How can we achieve that? That was the main contribution in the workshop mm -hmm. and was very inspiring. And at the same time, we had to acknowledge we're, yeah, we discussed those things, but we are not there yet. So mm -hmm. uh, this mm -hmm. discussion needs to continue. So I'm really looking forward to lots of papers and lots <laughs> of uh, presentation, lots of discussion. The, the call for papers is already out for um, for a special issue in the new transactions on recommender systems journal, mm -hmm. also on evaluation. But of course, the different perspectives are also welcome. I guess as one part of the workshop teether, there was also the question posed about if there is a golden standard for the evaluation of recommender systems. So is there a golden standard, but just researchers and practitioners are not yet fully adhering to it? Or isn't there and shouldn't there be a golden standard? Or what is your take on this? My personal take is th there's no golden standard that would apply for everything. Mm -hmm. We just treat some things as if it would be the golden standard for everything. And then still we do something which is maybe not the golden standard, but it's easier to do because we have data and computational power. I think we really have to delve into what do we really want to find out to so have like have a clear goal, which direct direction should it go? What do we expect and evaluate mm -hmm. for that? And then also look into other trade-offs somewhere else, because if we improve accuracy, great. But if in the end it's always the same item recommended to everyone, it's maybe maybe not the best idea unless that yeah. was also a goal. At the same time, if you have high coverage, but uh, every user would get something that they're not interested in, that would also not be uh, a good thing. And mm -hmm. we already have lots of different metrics, but it's not happening so often that all like the wide spectrum of metrics <laughs> is considered within one study. Sometimes mm -hmm. for good reason and sometimes maybe for not so good reason. I guess of that general criticism that has been rising over the past years, which is also healthy criticism that says, okay, there's too much evaluation only focused on the retrieval accuracy because it might be too easy or there might be just data sets that only allow you or basically bias you towards only um doing that accuracy evaluation in terms of precision at K, recall at K, NDCG, MRR, and all those. If we only take this picture with regards to retrieval accuracy, then even in that setting, we see problems there. I mean, um, there was that best paper in 2019 at the Rexis, which posed the questions with, we are really doing um, uh, a lot of progress. I mean, it was also about deep learning for recommender systems, but there we have also seen that sometimes the performance of your approach also depends heavily on how you like to perform the evaluation or how strong or elaborate you want to make your baselines and if you don't put in too much effort into creating competitive baselines and of course your approach will stand out nicely uh, compared to them so if we would even say that this dimension of retrieval accuracy is a valid one, then what could be a golden standard in that setting? 
well, accuracy is a well is valid, and we we need it. Like without accuracy, I don't know where we would go. <laughs> so uh, definitely, it's just not the entire picture. That's mm -hmm. that's my stance on that. But you were asking for the golden standard. Like yeah. I, I I don't have a golden standard for you. There won't be a golden standard. I think. What I really think in terms of the story you told before, like are we really making progress? Mm -hmm. Is and I think that's especially in academia thing that we try to solve a problem that we just encountered and we are interested in. But sometimes the question is missing, does that matter in practice? If we achieve this mm -hmm. goal, does this make any difference? Or we easily say, yes, it matters, of course. Maybe that's maybe we post the question, <laughs> we just say, uh, yes, of course, but we don't really know. So it's a lot of assumption. And especially as with recommenders, we have to, like it's all about uh, humans that get recommendation at some point and mm -hmm. the perception is often very different to what objective me measures would um, expect and that somehow like brings me back to the fairness thing if you ask people if something's fair or not where the recommendations fair if you would ask this question like I would probably I wouldn't be able to answer that, and probably mm -hmm. lots of users also don't know that. Uh, and then you could say you improved something concerning fairness, but people don't like it. But maybe mm -hmm. they just don't see it. But if you would label it, that's in the carousel, like one way of like the fairest ever recommendations. If that would be possible, maybe mm -hmm. people would perceive it differently and then like everything or hate everything. I uh, like yeah. to to exaggerate. And we need to take this into account and we can only do that if we include people. Yeah, there I guess we always want to show what has changed. And I guess we are all somehow inclined towards showing this on a quantitative basis. And there it's nice to use those commonly known and working solutions, even though we could criticize them individually. So you always basically want to show that you have improved some certain precision or some certain uh, MRR or NDCG by a certain amount. And for different things that might matter or might have an impact in reality this is just a bit harder to do so for example let's say i mean talking about recommenders in a business setting and we have a business that is focusing to use a recommender to achieve customer retention or to increase revenue or profit or something like that this is basically no data that we are having access to mm -hmm. so that it's so it's hard to measure so i guess there are two dimensions to this problem so the one is you don't have the data for this and then we fall back to what we can evaluate just in the end to say that this is not impacting or just doesn't tell us whether this is having an impact. And the other one is the general problem that we are having a disconnect because the retention or the sales or something like that is really the final goal or one of the final goals mm -hmm. downstream, which tells you, for example, the business goal. And then it goes back business goal, then you have some have online metric, offline metric. And in, in the very beginning, you are having some loss you use for your recommender. So about these two directions, so the problem of the data and the problem of the disconnect, what are your takes on this? Well, the problem with the data is, it's just some people don't have access to the data and other people have access to the data. In this case, it's industry, like in their own company, they hopefully have access to their uh, data. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Please do it uh, and make consider it in the in the evaluation. 
And that's also one of the things why we considered for the workshop, well, maybe different people in academia and people in industry have to do different things or have different roles on evaluation. And that, for instance, in like in the fairness field, I have the feeling I want to show where problems are and push people in the industry to integrate that uh, because maybe the incentive to start that from industry perspective is different. So mm -hmm. I, I see a special role here uh, as I'm a researcher in academia. There's some, some point I really miss here because, okay, we have open data sets and we have access to data and then there's something that's done online and in the very moment data is collected. But we mm -hmm. also have lots of possibilities in between if we do user studies and there's a wide range of user studies you could mm -hmm. do. It's also quantitative it, or it can also be quantitative. And if you have substantial sample that's also representative, you can do a lot of things. And uh, it's just, it takes effort mm -hmm. and it's not that you uh, like first year of study and you know how to do the perfect user experiment of course you don't mm -hmm. that's also a skill that we have like the skill that we need to develop but it's a useful one and that will hopefully pay off in the in the end but of course if you have an open data set the data is already available compared to you have to invest several weeks or months to get the data of course there is short step or longer step but if it mm -hmm. pays off in the end and paying off i mean not in terms of Money is to find something out that you can mm -hmm. use in the end. Okay. So to, to get you correctly, you're calling for more user studies to be performed because they allow also people which are not in industry and which need to take care of certain mm -hmm. data not being published. So they allow also those people that don't have access to this data to create the data mm -hmm. themselves as a result of user studies and have this as something where I could measure much more than just if I'm doing very good at my very first position of recommendations, but also to use it to question people about what their perceived diversity of recommendations were and how Indeed. good the discovery experience was. Yes, yeah. I wouldn't say, okay, we need more user studies and it's only mm -hmm. about more. They also have to be good because if it's <laughs> a, a bad study, then uh, it's useless. But it's also yeah. bad offline evaluation is useless. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> that's with everything. But as we deal so much with people, we have to involve people at some point to also to check back if our assumptions that mm -hmm. we use in the computational approach make sense and it's reflecting how users tick. And this again will inform how to use the user study. So I really consider that important to do user studies and maybe we come closer to the golden standard like ideally it's a combination there might be there are definitely research questions where you don't need to combine or where it doesn't make sense but i'm convinced there are lots of research questions where it makes sense to combine lots of different perspectives again and also mm -hmm. if user study offline evaluation that's two different perspectives or including a wider set of metrics considering different domains that's already broadening our, our view on what's going yeah. on yeah so it's the combination there's not a single answer if there is a lesson that i'm going to make uh, as part of this episode there is not an easy answer or a one rule fits all answer to all the things but that's how life is it's sometimes more complex as you want to boil it down to some simple rules <laughs> there's still work to do <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we talked about a uh, lots of challenges so far. So about fairness, especially in music recommender systems, about the challenge of proper evaluation. What other challenges do you see for the field of recommender systems? 
I, I just was, want to postulate an idea or a push an idea on that. Yes, <laughs> go ahead. Like it's it's a while already we talk about context, there are recommenders. And I feel that when we talk about context, we talk about different things of context. Mm -hmm. Again, lots of different viewpoints. And especially as I came to re recommender systems from the context of our computing field, although we use the same definition of context, it's mm -hmm. and in this uh, definition, we cite that a lot, but we have different takes on it, what we really consider. And so what is context? What can we include in our systems? And my impression is that, especially in the context of our computing field, lots of sensors are used like really devices to get additional data additional information about a specific situation about the context that a person is in or the device mm -hmm. is in mm -hmm. and in comparison how we at the moment do it in the recommender systems field when we include context we don't exploit the full potential mm -hmm. i think for various reasons like there's no data set that includes all the different aspects, so we don't have it, we can't use it. That's a very <laughs> simple explanation for why it's not yeah. happening. For other things, it's also um, a privacy issue coming mm -hmm. into play because if you track a person with lots of different sensors, of course, you run into a privacy issue, so probably better not doing it. Or, yeah, you have to do it in a way that's okay privacy-wise. So these things come together, but especially as recommender systems are like for years now used a lot, like consumed on a smartphone or a, a mobile device. Mm -hmm. And those smartphones are equipped with so many different sensors already. Maybe it's at the point of time where we could try to think about what can we collect, what is okay, and then introduce it into our recommenders. Make use of the accelerometer of your smartphone when uh, listening to music. <laughs> if it's useful, but it's like if we combine it with sports, it's very useful. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I see your point. Definitely. So to do this kind of more smoothly or implicitly, then wait for the user to explicitly offer the signal. But even there, we are having basically the trade-off. You need yeah. consent, uh, yeah. definitely. But if you just tell the user, I want to use this data, and you don't say why, some might indeed uh, accept that. But I think that's not okay to do it in such a way. But mm -hmm. if it's a good reason and it's not revealing, or it also depends on where this data goes. So if it still remains on your device only mm -hmm. and it's not transferred anywhere that's also a possibility to make it in a privacy sensitive way yeah definitely even though we might be missing the proper training data then or additional training yeah. data for retraining <laughs> yeah so uh, yeah lots of different challenges okay. still there so it's a challenge that could be addressed humor wise please address it of course it has to be done in a sensible way and in a mm -hmm. way that makes sense in way that's, that it has impact in the end so if it's just lots of different approaches additionally and lots of more data mm -hmm. but nothing would change in the output then it would be useless but at the moment i think we don't know as a community i actually like the idea and uh, it again uh, is a good point for there is still a lot of a lot of work to do in the field and this might be another topic that shows that there are different new ideas constantly popping up that might need to be addressed in the future 
Yeah, I, I see it as opportunities. Mm. Yeah, we don't have to mm. address those, but I think there are opportunities. At least worth exploring. <laughs> indeed, indeed. <laughs> cool, okay. Also one question, and you uh, might gonna expect this one uh, as part of my three wrapping up questions always, is um, if you think about a recommender that results you're going to use as a user, Or what would be the recommender or what is some kind of personalization systems that you really enjoy as a user? If there is any. <laughs> there is, I think, I think there's nothing I really enjoy as a user okay. in this stuff because then I start thinking, why did it recommend to me? What did they use? Uh, which data did I have from? Or why isn't it any better? Or why, why is it so good? So it's, um, it's triggering it me too much <laughs> the it's triggering thought, your research yeah. mindset too much yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's really hard but i think that comes with the special role so you are never falling down any rabbit hole because you're basically interrupting it by your research mindset that just basically tries to tear the things apart <laughs> I, i don't want to try to tear it apart but it's uh yeah it's i can't stop my thought processes <laughs> what's going on behind that <laughs> okay if you think about i mean uh you have been recommended uh, i still think a couple of times in this podcast already so it was really a pleasure to to have you on the show finally uh, and maybe we'll be having a talk again in the future but uh, which other person are, are you thinking of or are you maybe having in mind that you would like to see on rexperts i want to see if Tangele. I'm working with her and she's doing mm -hmm. lots of more different things. And I think it would be really cool to hear her insights. Perfect. Then I will also put her on my list. So I expect my invitation. <laughs> <laughs> Christine, many thanks for you to taking part in this and also sharing your research, your thoughts and for your contributions in the Rexus community. Will people that are listening to this show also see you at Rexus this year in Seattle? I hope so. I ah. hope so. So <laughs> I'm definitely there, like at least virtually, but I'm strongly planning to go there. But we don't know how the world situation will look like. So I'm monitoring this and mm -hmm. included in my decision making. Let's hope for the best. And uh, then we will meet again, hopefully in person uh, at this year's Rexus in Seattle cool. by the end of September. Because this is also at least my intention. But as you already mentioned, you never know what's going to happen. But as I said, let's hope for the best. <laughs> yeah, let's hope for the best. And thanks again for the invitation. It was really a pleasure talking about these topics with you. Thanks. So then have a nice day and see you. Goodbye. Same to you. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Rexperts, Recommender Systems Experts, the podcast that brings you the experts in recommender systems. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe to it on your favorite podcast player and please share it with anybody you think might benefit from it. Please also leave a review on Podchaser. And last but not least, if you have questions, a recommendation for an interesting expert you want to have in my show or any other suggestions, drop me a message on Twitter or send me an email to marcel at rexperts.com. Thank you again for listening and sharing and make sure not to miss the next episode because people who listen to this also listen to the next episode. See you. Goodbye. <laughs>